Today is August 12th. This is Verses and Flow. I'm Jennifer, and I am blessed to be in your ears today as we traverse this word together and as we look upward and inward to see things we've never seen or to see things we've previously seen, but with fresh eyes and enhanced visibility. Now, we're returning to the book of Nehemiah today, where the story of rebuilding continues and where we witness the collaborative effort of the people as they work on the reconstruction of the city walls, each individual taking up a specific role, each task contributing to the greater purpose. Now, this passage teaches us the value of unity, collective effort, and the meaningful contributions we can make when we work together toward a common goal. And then shifting to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul addresses matters of singleness and marriage. He emphasizes the importance of focusing on the Lord regardless of our marital status. Paul's words remind us that our ultimate fulfillment and purpose come from our relationship with God and our life choices should reflect that devotion. And then in Psalm 32, we find a song of gratitude and forgiveness. Now, this is called a psalm of penitence. And here, David expresses the freedom and relief that comes from confessing our sins and receiving God's pardon. This psalm, like Psalms 6, 38, 102, 130, and 143, which are also penitent psalms, serve as a reminder that true joy is found in embracing humility, seeking forgiveness, and finding solace in our relationship with God. In other words, confess them sins and get that guilt off of you. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that when we confess our sins, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive them and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I don't know about you, but there is something that is so refreshing to me about that unconditional kind of love and that unconditional forgiveness that just hits different. There is nothing more invigorating than a clean slate to lighten your load and give you a renewed sense of purpose. And then turning to Proverbs 21, we encounter the theme of diligence and planning. These verses highlight the importance of consistent effort and wise decision-making, emphasizing that success often comes from careful consideration and unwavering dedication. Now, as we delve into these passages today, let's remember that each day we spend engaging with this word brings us closer to the realization of our potential, the challenges and triumphs of those who came before us. It's just a reflection of the whole of human experience and their stories resonate across time and space. Just as Nehemiah led a community in rebuilding, we too are constructing our own narratives of growth and purpose. And we too are in a process of becoming the best versions of ourselves that we can be. All right, let's flow into this word and allow this word to flow into us. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 15 through chapter 5, verse 13, the Living Bible. Shalom, son of Kol Hose, the mayor of the Mizpah district, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it, roofed it, hung its doors, and installed its locks and bars. Then he repaired the wall from the pool of Siloam to the king's garden and the stairs that descend from the city of David's section of Jerusalem. 
Next to him was Nehemiah, son of Asbuk, the mayor of half the Beth Zer district. He built as far as the Royal Cemetery, the Water Reservoir, and the Old Officers Club building. Next was a group of Levites working under the supervision of Rehum, son of Benai. Then came Hashabiah, the mayor of half the Keilah district, who supervised the building of the wall in his own district. Next, down the line, were his clan brothers, led by Bavai, son of Hanadad, the mayor of the other half of the Kila district. Next to them, the workers were led by Ezer, son of Jeshua, the mayor of another part of Mizpah. They also worked on the section of wall across from the armory where the wall turns. Next to him was Baruch, son of Zebai, who built from the turn in the wall to the home of Eliashib, the high priest. Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hekaz, built a section of the wall extending from a point opposite the door of Eliashib's house to the side of the house. Then came the priests from the plains outside the city, Benjamin, Hashub, and Azariah, son of Maaseiah, son of Ananiah, repaired the sections next to their own houses. Next was Benui, son of Hinadad, who built the portion of the wall from Azariah's house to the corner. Halal, son of Uzai, carried on the work from the corner to the foundations of the upper tower of the king's castle beside the prison yard. Next was Padiah, son of Parash. The temple attendants living in Ophel repaired the wall as far as the east water gate and the projecting tower. Then came the Tekoites, who repaired the section opposite the castle tower and over to the wall of Ophel. The priests repaired the wall beyond the horse gate each one doing the section immediately opposite his own house. Zadok, son of Emmer, also rebuilt the wall next to his own house, and beyond him was Shemaiah, son of Shephaniah, the gatekeeper of the east gate. Next was Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, Hanun, the sixth son of Zelaph, and Meshullam, son of Berechiah, who built next to his own house. Melchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the temple attendants and merchants guild hall, opposite the muster gate, then to the upper room at the corner. The other goldsmiths and merchants completed the wall from that corner to the sheep gate. Sam Ballot was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and insulted and mocked us and laughed at us, and so did his friends and the Samaritan army officers. What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they are doing? He scoffed. Do they think they can build the wall in a day if they offer enough sacrifices? And look at those charred stones they are pulling out of the rubbish and using again. Tobiah, who was standing beside him, remarked, If even a fox walked along the top of their wall, it would collapse. Then I prayed, Hear us, O Lord God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back upon their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their sin. Do not blot it out, for they have despised you in despising us who are building your wall. At last, the wall was completed to half its original height around the entire city, for the workers worked hard. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians, Ammonites, and Ashdodites heard that the work was going right ahead and that the breaks in the wall were being repaired, they became furious. They plotted to lead an army against Jerusalem to bring about riots and confusion. 
but we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then some of the leaders began complaining that the workmen were becoming tired, and there was so much rubble to be removed that we could never get it done by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were planning to swoop down upon us and kill us, thus ending our work. And whenever the workers who lived in the nearby cities went home for a visit, our enemies tried to talk them out of returning to Jerusalem. So I placed armed guards from each family in the cleared spaces behind the walls. Then, as I looked over the situation, I called together the leaders and the people and said to them, Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Fight for your friends, your families, and your homes. Our enemies learned that we knew of their plot and that God had exposed and frustrated their plan. Now we all returned to our work on the wall, but from then on, only half worked while the other half stood guard behind them. And the masons and laborers worked with weapons within easy reach beside them, or with swords belted to their sides. The trumpeters stayed with me to sound the alarm. The work is so spread out, I explained to them, and we are separated so widely from each other that when you hear the trumpet blow, you must rush to where I am, and God will fight for us. We worked early and late, from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. I told everyone living outside the walls to move into Jerusalem so that their servants could go on guard duty as well as work during the day. During this period, none of us, I, nor my brothers, nor the servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes except for washing, and we carried our weapons with us at all times. About this time, there was a great outcry of protest from parents against some of the rich Jews who were profiteering on them. What was happening was that families who ran out of money for food had to sell their children or mortgage their fields, vineyards, and homes to these rich men. And some couldn't even do that, for they already had borrowed to the limit to pay their taxes. We are their brothers, and our children are just like theirs, the people protested. Yet we must sell our children into slavery to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters, and we are helpless to redeem them, for our fields, too, are mortgaged to these men. I was very angry when I heard this. So after thinking about it, I spoke out against these rich government officials. What is this you are doing? I demanded. How dare you demand a mortgage as a condition for helping another Israelite? Then I called a public trial to deal with them. At the trial, I shouted at them. The rest of us are doing all we can to help our Jewish brothers who have returned from exile as slaves in distant lands. But you are forcing them right back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their own defense. Then I pressed further. What you are doing is very evil, I exclaimed. Should you not walk in the fear of our God? Don't we have enough enemies among the nations around us who are trying to destroy us? The rest of us are lending money and grain to our fellow Jews without any interest. I beg you, gentlemen, stop this business of usury. Restore their fields, vineyards, olive yards, and homes to them this very day and drop your claims against them. So they agreed to do it and said that they would assist their brothers without requiring them to mortgage their lands and sell them their children. 
Then I summoned the priests and made these men formally vow to carry out their promises, and I invoked the curse of God upon any of them who refused. May God destroy your homes and livelihood if you fail to keep this promise, I declared. And all the people shouted, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the rich men did as they had promised. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 40. Now, I will try to answer your other question. What about girls who are not yet married? Should they be permitted to do so? In answer to this question, I have no special command for them from the Lord, but the Lord in his kindness has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will be glad to tell you what I think. Here is the problem. We Christians are facing great dangers to our lives at present. In times like these, I think it is best for a person to remain unmarried. Of course, if you already are married, don't separate because of this. But if you aren't, don't rush into it at this time. But if you men decide to go ahead anyway and get married now, it is all right. And if a girl gets married in times like these, it is no sin. However, marriage will bring extra problems that I wish you didn't have to face right now. The important thing to remember is that our remaining time is very short, and so are our opportunities for doing the Lord's work. For that reason, those who have wives should stay as free as possible for the Lord. Happiness or sadness or wealth should not keep anyone from doing God's work. Those in frequent contact with the exciting things the world offers should make good use of their opportunities without stopping to enjoy them, for the world in its present form will soon be gone. In all you do, I want you to be free from worry. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please Him. But a married man can't do that so well. He has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. It is the same with a girl who marries. She faces the same problem. A girl who is not married is anxious to please the Lord in all she is and does. But a married woman must consider other things such as housekeeping and the likes and dislikes of her husband. I am saying this to help you, not to try to keep you from marrying. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few other things as possible to distract your attention from him. But if anyone feels he ought to marry because he has trouble controlling his passions, it is all right. It is not a sin. Let him marry. But if a man has the willpower not to marry and decides that he doesn't need to and won't, he has made a wise decision. So the person who marries does well, and the person who doesn't marry does even better. The wife is part of her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, then she may marry again, but only if she marries a Christian. But in my opinion, she will be happier if she doesn't marry again. And I think I am giving you counsel from God's Spirit when I say this. Psalm 32 what happiness for those whose guilt has been forgiven! What joys when sins are covered over! What relief for those who have confessed their sins and God has cleared their record! There was a time when I wouldn't admit what a sinner I was, but my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. 
All day and all night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until I finally admitted all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess them to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Now I say that each believer should confess his sins to God when he is aware of them. While there is time to be forgiven, judgment will not touch him if he does. You are my hiding place from every storm of life. You even keep me from getting into trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. I will instruct you, says the Lord, and guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch your progress. Don't be like a senseless horse or mule that has to have a bit in his mouth to keep it in line. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but abiding love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. So rejoice in him, all those who are his, and shout for joy, all those who try to obey him. Proverbs chapter 21 verses 5 through 7. Steady plotting brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. Dishonest gain will never last, so why take the risk? Because the wicked are unfair, their violence boomerangs and destroys them. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word that is alive and powerful. And we thank you that it speaks to us today as it did to those who lived thousands of years ago. Lord, we thank you for the stories of Nehemiah, of Paul, of David, and Solomon, who were your servants and your instruments in different times and places. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes, our ears, our minds, and our hearts to internalize and then externalize all that it is you want us to know, understand, do, and feel. Lord, we are open to your leading. Teach us, inspire us, challenge us, confront us, conform us to your way, and transform us through your word. Lord, as we meditate on these passages, help us to retain the lessons they hold so that they come back to our remembrance when we need them the most. And Lord, as we continue our journey through your story, may the wisdom we glean shape our decisions, our interactions, and our aspirations. Guide us, Heavenly Father, as we endeavor to become the best versions of ourselves. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, all the people of God said together, Amen. And our affirmation for today, through the mirror of the word, I see my reflection. Through the window of the word, I see my direction. Through the mirror of the word, I see my reflection. Through the window of the word, I see my direction. And our aphorism, the walls we build around us can either protect us or imprison us. It depends on who we let in or keep out. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for being on this incredible expedition with me and for opening your heart and lending me your ears. I trust that you enjoyed it and perhaps you learned something new or interesting from these passages of scripture. If you ever have any feedback or suggestions for me, any comments, please let me know by leaving a comment on Spotify. You can leave a review on Apple or send me an email at jennifer at versesandflow.com. I would love to hear from you. Also, if you ever feel blessed by this work, if this daily walk through the scriptures has encouraged or enlightened you and you feel compelled to partner with me in its continuation, 
Please know that I am grateful that you would even consider this podcast. Verses and Flow truly is a labor of love. It is my commitment to sharing the word of God in a way that feels uplifting and edifying, relevant and resonant, relatable and relational. And a gift of any amount truly helps keep this work going and flowing. Your gifts help me to continue producing this podcast and to share God's word with more people who are looking for a resource like this. You can contribute by visiting versesandflow.com or simply clicking the link provided in the show notes. But regardless of whether you choose to give, know that I am grateful for your support in whatever way it shows up, your prayers, comments, posts, messages, you sharing it. It all matters and it all helps. I truly mean that. That is all I have for you today. May God bless you abundantly as you bless others. You belong here and we belong together on this journey. I love you. And if God says the same, I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you.